0: Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. How are you guys doing? Pastor Jim is not here today. He is traveling through all 50 states with a couple of couples, so he's probably watching online, so what's up, PJ? And uh, and and I'm here, and so my name is Pastor Charlie, and I have a couple people in the audience that I need to embarrass. I'm going to get in major trouble for this, so just so we all understand, so you're going to have to support me. But my my stepfather and my mom are right here, so right there. Go ahead, wave a little bit. That's perfect. All right. That's nice. It's my mama. All right. I'm going to tell you right now, if any of you have a problem with me, I'm going to tell my mama. Because my mom's one of those people that handle business, all right? She's like four foot nine, but she will take you out, okay? I'm serious. So short, anybody got a short mom? They're, they're feisty, right? You're scared of your short mom, huh? It doesn't matter. If you got a short mom, they are feisty. And I got two other people I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call out that don't want me to do this either. But right back here, there's a, a man named Yom and a man named Caleb right there. So go ahead, give them a round of applause. They, they showed up to church. I'm not calling any of the rest of you out, so I'm just saying. I'm just, but, but Caleb right there, he's in the last days of his 20s. He's about to be 30 on, in December. And so he's. I've known him since he was like a freshman in high school or eighth grade or something like that. And so he thinks that I'm a lot older than him, but we're only five years apart. And so now he's an old man. I get to say all that is going to be great. Well, uh, uh, I'm going to go back to my mom really quick. And listen, I'm going to preface all this. Because my mom ends up in a lot of sermons, I'm going to be honest, right? Because she's my mama. And, uh, and she, gets, she gets that privilege and that terror. And uh, my mom uh, is a great outdoors person. My mom uh, was like president of her FFA. I don't know if you know what that is. Most of you do. This is Norco. What am I talking about? Uh, all of you are all involved. My mom was, like, the president in, like, Templeton, which means she was, like, queen of the town or something like that. Uh, and so my mom was the president of FFA. She used to raise sheep. Um, I've told all of you this before, right? Like, she used to raise sheep from, like, from like and, like, birth them, like, like just nasty stuff, all right? And she was, like, very outdoors. My mom, when she comes here, because my, my two little girls, Soraya and Ellie, like, we do these walks, and they're always asking me like, what's this plant called? What's this plant called? My mom is such like a plant nerd that she knows all of their names. So we're like walking by, she's like, that's a fountain rain. That's a suckle butt. Whatever she says. Like she says all this stuff, man. I got no idea what any of this stuff means. I am not that person. I'm the person that I get scared if I'm going to eat a berry, if I'm going to die or not, right? If it's in the wild, I'm kind of like, ooh, I don't know, man. It's ain't named Vons. So I'm not too sure if this is okay. Uh, that's, that's me, okay? My mom is totally outdoorsy. I I am not an outdoorsy person. Who, who here loves the outdoors? Love camping? Go ahead, raise your hand. No, raise it high, alright? These are the people I judge all of you, okay? This is serious. I don't know. And and so do all of the rest of us indoorsy people. My mom tried to get me to be an outdoorsy person. We went to like KOA campgrounds. Um we slept in tents. And as soon as I could say no, I did. I was like, I can't go anymore. If there's not a cabin and running water and a cafeteria, I'm pretty much out, okay? That's not me. Um, I don't like the outdoors. I I should rephrase. I like the outdoors. I love appreciating God's creation. Some of you, to appreciate God's creation, you need to go and live there. I'm totally good driving through it. Like, I'm going to be honest. (laughs) I can appreciate God's creation going through the 15, seeing the mountains, through the the smog, and I can say what a beautiful, beautiful sight. You want to live there and squat there and do all of your stuff there. I'm totally good with it. I'm, I'm gonna be even more transparent. I, to this day, I did a, a thing called Royal Rangers, okay? I don't know if you know what that is. It's Christian Boy Scouts, right? Because Boy Scouts are too secular for my family. And uh, so I did Royal Rangers and I got a lot of badges and one of them was a compass badge. To this day, I don't know what a compass does, okay? (laughs) I don't know why you would need it. It doesn't make any sense to me. You need it to tell you that you're going north, south, east, or west? That doesn't matter to me at all. If it was a compass that pointed to food, that's a great compass, all right? Or pointed away from bears, all right? Another great compass. But a compass that just tells me which way I'm going doesn't mean anything to me. And some of you, you're so outdoorsy, you don't even need a compass. You're like extreme. You can tell by like stars and the moon and stuff. You are weird, okay? What is that? You can tell what way you're walking by like the moss because it grows on like the side. I'm going to tell you right now, I know the sun sets and the sun rises in either the east or the west, and it's 50-50 for me right now. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to be confident in the answer I give you that's just me that's me that might be a couple other people in here if you are outdoorsy that is great i tell you all of this because if you ever find yourself in the horrible situation where i am leading a hike you should run as fast as you can back to your car okay one that must mean that everyone else that was supposed to be on the hike is no longer with us or is not like because they got eaten and now it's just me and you should you should just just write a letter to your family just tell them that you love them you miss them and just call it a day um because if i'm leading a hike you don't want that i can barely i can barely get around corona y'all streets are crazy all right there's like one that just goes in a circle like i don't even know what is that <laughs> I'm still. I have to like still map my way to like get around this city because I got no idea where I'm going. They're like, it's on Garrison. I was like, okay. I could throw a dart and I wouldn't know where Garrison was. What are you guys talking about? I have no idea where any of these streets are. I can get from here to my house sometimes without using my GPS. Barely. All right. That's just. I'm just not directionally, uh, uh, you know, good at that stuff. My wife, she's good. She like kind of knows. She's like, yeah, we went this way. I'm the person that like thinks because I made a left. And then we did a circle. Like if we get off on like one of those exits and it like does this thing, I'm done. All right. You've, you've put me in a 360. I don't know where anything is anymore. I thought we were here. Now we're, I'm just not that guy. So if you ever find yourself in the horrible situation, where well one, we're outdoors, which I'm already out, but we're outdoors and I'm leading us to safety, just call it a day. Get your stuff right with God. And we're just going to take a chance right here. Because more than likely, what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try, because I can't read a compass, not very good with maps, um, I'm just going to try and feel my way back to safety. Usually using my nose, looking for some food, okay? That's what I'm going to try and do. So you should never trust me on that stuff. Now, I say all this to obviously make fun of myself, but also I need you to have this imagery in your head right here of that you're at a trailhead, and this path will lead you to Uh, being lost in the woods because you're going to walk it by feeling and this path is either going to lead you to safety or that perfect view that you're looking to get a picture at, that each one of these trails leads somewhere differently. And to have this idea of which one You're going to choose. Now, we're going to hop right into the scripture today. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 3. If you are new here or if you've missed a couple weeks, we are doing a a longer series this time. It is called Cycle Breaker, Cycle Maker, with the whole idea being that the cycles that some of us have found ourselves in or that have been created for us through family members or or life experiences or whatever that do not line up with the Word of God, that we want to break those cycles and start new ones. And we keep going back to Genesis 3 because Genesis 3 is packed with awesome theology and imagery and to be honest most of the bible refers back to this scripture in Genesis 3 of, of Adam and Eve and the fall in the garden okay so we're going to hop right in there so if you want to do Genesis 3 Genesis is at the beginning of the bible 3 it's also you know toward the front of the number system and uh, and we're going to hop in right after Adam and Eve have eaten of the fruit basic story is a serpent the devil lied to Eve Told her that if she were to eat of the fruit that has been forbidden by God, then she would be like God. So she takes of the fruit, and she gives it to her husband, he takes of the fruit. They both knowingly and willingly break God's commandment, right? And we're going to hop right in right after they've taken the bite, right after Adam has taken that bite. And I want you to notice what happens. It says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and that they knew they were naked. And they sowed fig leaves. Say, sowed fig leaves. Perfect. Together and made themselves loin coverings. Then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Say, hid among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked so I hid myself. Bow your head with me. I'm going to pray for us today. Father, God, as we unpack this scripture, God, I pray that your words, God, that were written so long ago, God, they are so applicable to the lives that we live today, that God, that in this room, I pray you would speak to hearts and minds of those that need to hear, that need to break a cycle and create a new one. So God, I pray that in this room today. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. So I had you repeat two lines, sowed fig leaves and hid among the trees. And this is where I want to start, that imagine this idea of Scripture being a trailhead, that Adam and Eve have sinned. And it says immediately when they have sinned that they they took a step and they noticed they were naked. Now, anytime you read the word naked, especially in this story. Or hear the word naked in Hebrew culture, you should immediately go to shame. Because being naked in in Hebrew culture was one of the most shameful ways to come before the Lord. In fact, it was forbidden by rabbinic law to ever pray to the Lord while naked, which is totally kind of opposite of what was going on at that time. Because think about the Romans. Romans. At, who, were, who were doing all of the Olympics uh, naked. Think about statues that were built naked. Like, like people in culture, not in Hebrew culture, but in the surrounding cultures were praising the human body. And instead the Hebrews said, no, 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 this is, this is the idea of shame. Because it's not that being, being naked was shameful, but it was the imagery that like right when they ate of the apple that they noticed they were naked. They walked from sin into shame. And what do we know about shame? Well, we know this, that sin says, I've done wrong, I've done bad, but shame says, I am wrong, I am bad. So whenever you hear the word naked, you should immediately go to, all right, there's some shame here. They feel exposed. They feel like everybody can see everything that's wrong with them. And so what do Adam and Eve do? I love this. They take leaves and they sew them together. They pluck something from a live vine, pull it off, so that it's now dead. And they take dead things and they work and they sew them together to cover their shame. And then they go hide in the place that they work, right? They hide in the garden. Where do they work? They work in the garden. So they pluck dead things to cover their shame and then they hide in the place where they work. I wish that that imagery and that idea that if you could take dead things and work hard enough, they could cover your shame. I wish that had died in the garden, but it didn't. It lives alive today, right? It lives alive in the people in this room, some of us. It lives alive sometimes on this very stage. That some ways humans have begun to think from the very beginning of time that if they mess up, that they can work hard enough by putting dead things that don't give life anymore and they can sew them together and somehow they can cover their shame and they can maybe be worthy enough to go back before God or go back before their family or whatever the case is. That we have this, this idea that if somehow I can work hard enough, I'll finally be worthy. Can I just break that lie to you right now? That work will never create worth. It can't. Your work can never create your worth. Now I'm telling you this because last week I had to walk in this. Um, I'm the operations pastor. If you say, what does the operations pastor do? That's a great question. I'll let you know. But I know one of my main jobs is I conduct all the meetings. So I get to do all the board meetings. I get to do all the staff meetings. I come up with one-on-one meetings. I love meetings, and I really do. I am a huge fan of meetings. I love getting together. I love talking with people. I love creating ideas with people. I like talking about things that we could do differently. I love meetings where we're going to create and cast vision. I'm all about that. I love meetings. You might not like meetings. I'm the guy you hate, okay? Let's just get that out of the way. I would be the person that you would hate to see at work. Some staff members also love meetings, and some staff members don't. And one of the staff members that doesn't like meetings is Pastor Eric Disney. He hates meetings. And he's sitting right there. You can look at him. Uh, he does not like meetings. And, and I make him sit in meetings because I'm a terrible, terrible, terrible person, okay? And I made everyone sit. I had this great idea. I said, I love meetings so much, we're going to do two meetings in a row, both three hours each. We're going to do one three-hour meeting on Tuesday, and then we're going to do another one on Wednesday. And I was jazzed for this. I'm like, this is going to be amazing. We're all going to get there and talk, and it's going to be awesome. And I look at Pastor Eric's face, not excited, but I can make him excited. I know I can get him excited about this meeting. And so I'm, I'm working, and I do all this stuff, and I walked away from both of those meetings, and I walked away in pain and hurt because I did not feel I did a good job. I'm just being transparent with you. I did not feel like I gave my best effort or I did enough in those meetings so that people enjoyed them. Because when I was in the meeting and I was looking around, I saw a lot of people with like glossy eyes. They were like, can this be over? Right? That's what a lot of you look like right now. It's okay. Uh, and, I, and I just get, and, I, and I'm looking at that. And I went home. And I went home, and I have a two-year-old and a six-year-old. Soraya's six, Eliana's two, and we're potty-training the two-year-old. Pray for me, y'all. That is, if you've ever potty-trained somebody, you, you bless the Lord when it's done, right? It's amazing. But in the middle of it, oh, man. I mean, it is like the weirdest thing to be watching another tiny human being like, are you going to pee right now? Like, do you know what I mean? Like that. So I'm, So I get home. And my girls are just being girls. Like, we're potty training one, so I'm watching her. My six-year-old is asking really difficult questions, like, why are adults in charge? And I'm like, I honestly don't know. Uh, I've met some. They shouldn't be in charge either. Uh, <laughs> i just—and so, and so all this is going on, and they're just being them. They're just being two and six. And I found myself, because I did not feel coming out of those meetings, like I was worthy. I felt—this is what I really felt. And I told Pastor Eric this. I said, I felt like after the meetings, nobody would like me. Like, I really felt like I had not done a good enough job for people to like me. And I didn't feel worthy. So what happens was when I went home, my girls were being girls, and I could feel anger rising up. And any of you that have had anger issues in the past know exactly what this feels like, that the anger rises up in your body. And it literally, like, in your body. Like, you can feel it in your limbs. And I could feel it, and i go, Phew. And that's how it was for Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. Because I just didn't feel like I did a good job. And everything in those moments was about worth for me. I got, I, to put it plainly, I did not feel worthy enough to go back to work, to go back to another set of meetings. Because so I didn't feel like people liked it. And in turn, they must not like me. And some of you know exactly what that's like, right? I'm going to talk about, when I say work, a lot of you will assume jobs. I don't want you to assume that. I want you to assume your football team that you work on, uh, the the the. if you're a parent, that job that you have, that responsibility you have, if you do have a job, that kind of stuff. Anytime you try and do anything with your hands to create worth in yourself, it's never going to work. You're always going to find yourself disappointed. Because if I kept on... Uh, thinking to myself like, man, if only if I do good work, that's the only way people will like me. That's the only way I'll be worthy. I end up taking that home like I did. Because then instead of coming home and being like, man, I am I did such a great job, I come home feeling like I did not do a great job. And then my family is just like everyone else's family. When you come home from work, it is not my wife's job to tell me what a good person I am for like 30 minutes so I feel better about myself. My wife is going to tell me things that everyone's wife does. Why are your shoes still down here, right? That is one of the things. Why is there a pile of fifty? 15 Socks in this corner and how come it's not an even number? Why is there only 15? Where did one go? Like, like those are things, right? So then I walk back into life. If I have only created worth in one section of my life and I walk back into the other section of my life, then what's going to happen is I'm going to feel like not only am I not a good worker, I must not be a good husband or a good father. So what is a person like me, even a pastor? gonna do I'm gonna go hide back in the garden I'm gonna go hide back in the garden I'm gonna do my best to work my way because really do you know what I want you're so good at what you do I want the pats in the back right because I feel if you pat me on the back if you give me enough leaves to sew together I can cover my shame and maybe I'll be worthy enough That maybe if I produce enough leaves because you give them to me, because you tell me how great of a worker I am, because you tell me that I did such a good job, you give me all the pats on the back, that maybe then I'll feel worthy enough to go be a good father, to go be a good husband, to be a good Christian, to stand before God and say, Look what I did. I'm worthy, right? Anytime you take something, whether it's in ministry or whether it's your job place or whether it's your home, anytime you take things with your hands and say, I can sow my worth together. I can sow fig leaves to cover my shame. I'm telling you that will not lead you to the place you want to go. And in fact, this is where it is going to lead you. It is going to lead you to love production so much and pats on the back so much that production will take precedence over the people that you love. You'll be at work, working hard, doing whatever you can to make money, to to create power, whatever it is that you're doing, to, to create someone that's gonna notice you that in turn you will neglect the people that you love. Because you think if you work hard enough, their kids are going to say, oh, look what a great father I have. He's my hero. Or your wife's going to say, my husband is amazing. I can't believe that no one else thinks he's this. Like, we, we, we create this, this narrative in our mind that if I work hard enough, I can get everything I want. I can cover all the bad stuff in my life because people will see me and they will promote me and they will love me and they will like me and finally I'll like myself. And I won't feel naked anymore and I won't feel the shame anymore we're we're coming into fall right we've been in it for a couple weeks what do you see with leaves fall off the tree they crumble and blow away and you will find yourself trying to find more and more leaves as the leaves you have on have on die and blow away and it is a never ending trail that doesn't lead you anywhere except for lost in the woods and you'll walk and you'll walk in a cycle, in a circle hoping that one day it'll finally all work out for you and you'll look back on your life and you won't know your wife and you won't know your kids and you won't know your nieces and your nephew and your grandkids And so what do you end up doing? Well, you don't feel loved there, so I'll just go back to work and maybe I can work myself up. So they like me again, go back, it doesn't work, and it's just boom. And I don't want that for you. I don't want that for me. So how do I avoid that? How do I avoid walking down a trail that has been tripping up humans since the beginning of time? The idea that work can create my worth. How do I avoid this trail? Well, you gotta go back to the trailhead, right? You gotta go back to the start, to the sin. And instead of walking this way, like Adam and Eve did, instead of walking immediately into shame, into, man, I've done wrong, I've done bad, I better work my way out of this. I don't need you to walk this way. I need you to walk this way, because this way is easy. This way makes sense, right? It makes sense that you should be able to work your way out of whatever sin or shame has happened to you. In your brain, that makes sense. So it's a wide path that a lot of people take. But I need you to turn this way, to to a narrower path to one that the first step is one of the most difficult steps you can take and that first step isn't shame that first step is called repentance now I'm going to be honest with you I don't like that word, repentance Okay? I don't, I told you I like to talk to people right? And so so I walk in, I'm, and I'm dealing with what I want to say in this moment right here. So I walk into Pastor Dylan's office, and I go, Dylan, help me out with this, man. Like, like let's talk this out. Let's talk about what I want to talk about. And so we're going back and forth, and I was like, and I explained to him what I wanted to say, and he goes, oh, that's called repentance. And I was like, I don't know. Not that word. Because let me tell you what repentance, like when I say repentance, I don't know if anyone else in here thinks like this, but this is the imagery I get from repentance. I'll give you a, a, a let, let's do this. Have, have you ever a boyfriend and a girlfriend maybe they may been friends with you maybe you're one of the people in this story we'll see but where the boyfriend messes up he says something stupid he kisses someone stupid alright and now they're apart and have you ever seen where the girl is getting like 45 text messages every hour have you ever, have you ever, have you ever been around her when it's like bling 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 you ever been there and if you read those text messages, because some of you are, are nosy, like I am, matiches, and uh, and uh, and you're and you're reading the text messages, you're like, let me see, and uh, and it's all this, baby, she didn't mean nothing to me, baby, I'm so sorry, I'm so 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 sorry, broken heart emoji, like whatever the, right, and it's again, baby, I'm so sorry, she didn't mean nothing to me, baby, I'm so sorry, I was just dumb, I was just trying to, I was just trying to be funny, baby, right, you ever seen, you ever seen that happen? And then what's girlfriend doing? She got her arms crossed. Mm-mm. No way. I try and do the head thing. I think I'm street. I'm really not, but I, I can play. In my head, I am. And she's like, uh, I ain't taking him back. And then she got all of her girlfriends together, like, nah. uh And I'm just watching. This is amazing. Like, this is great. This is like every youth convention for me. Day two, someone broke up, and I get to watch this. It was awesome. I miss it. Like a social experiment, just watching couples break up and get back together, like, 32 hours later. It was awesome. And... Uh, and, and I was just watching that baby, baby. And to me, I'll be honest, to me, repentance look a lot like that. Of you having to come to the altar and repent. And you've got to grovel at the Father's feet and say sorry for every little thing you ever did. And that God is just looking down on you like, maybe, we'll see. And that is in my mind. When I say the word repentance, that is exactly what comes to my brain. And so, so let's back up. Repentance does, there are elements of repentance in that. But this is what re- true repentance looks like. It's when you walk from shame into a place of repentance, which just looks at the Father and says, I'm not okay. I'm not okay. Doesn't walk from here and blame someone else. I'm not okay because so-and-so, because that's shame, right? You walk in shame, you're sowing fig leaves together, and then what else are you doing? You're Adam is saying, well, Eve gave me the fruit. Eve's saying, well, the serpent told me to. Shame is all about blame. Shame is all about putting the blame on someone else and then telling them, but I can fix it. Putting the blame on someone else and then saying, but I can, I can fix it. I can make it all better. And repentance is walking this way and saying, I'm not okay. And it's on me. And yeah, I might have learned some stuff or heard some things or people told me some things, but this sin is on me. And God, I'm not okay. I'm not okay. I'm not okay with the anger that I feel. You see, some Christians in here, and you you walk in okay. You walk and it's, I'm okay. It's okay that you... Uh, that you have a little lust problem because it's not a pornographic problem. It's just a couple people you follow on Instagram. It's okay that you have an anger problem because it's really not that bad and really your kids just need to know not to bug you because really that's just how God made me. I hate that word, those words. It's just the way God made me because I just believed that craziness, and I'm talking to Christians in here, that, that when we gave our lives to Christ with true repentance that we became a new creation which meant this that anytime I wasn't okay I admitted it and I stopped being okay with just being an okay version of me and I started trying to act like Christ and some of us in this room have just been okay with being okay and there's some repentance that needs to happen before you and God that says listen yeah I got some stuff In the past, but this is on me. And Father, I'm not okay. Repentance is a is a lot less of shifting the blame, or trying to hold it all together for those of you that love control, and a lot less of I need to sow these fig leaves, and a lot more of I'm going to let go because I can't do it because I'm not okay. You know what a great a great story is. Of letting go. It's probably one that you never thought of before. And really, Pastor Jim showed me this. And so, can you turn your Bibles to John chapter 4 really quick? Just John, it's in the Gospels, the last Gospel, John chapter 4. And, and as you're turning there, uh, I'm going to kind of set this up. And you're, you're not going to totally read this in the actual verses that John writes, but through commentaries and through study, you, this is what I'm about to say is, is probably true, or at, least, or at least something like that. That there is a woman in this town that Jesus is kind of walking through and is in. And this woman, her, her deal is that, that she does not want to go outside of her home and be seen. And, and the worst part of her day is the part where she has to go get water. She hates it. She hates leaving and going into the well because she knows that when she leaves her house, it reminds everyone else what she has done. And she has to take this walk of shame all the way to the well and she used to go when the other women were there but they just gossip and whispered and it hurt her so much and she felt so much shame that now she waits until everyone leaves so just imagine she's like peeking out of her window looking at that trek she has to walk knowing the timing of when other people go and so she just kind of picks that that perfect time like kind of later in the afternoon that maybe she can go there and no one will notice her. A lot like some of you when you go to Walmart at like 10 and you don't want anyone to see you because you're in your pajamas. and, You know what I'm saying? Some of you don't care. That's my kind of people. That's awesome. But you know, you know what I mean? And so she waits. And I don't know if she can see the well or not, but she knows the timing and, and she begins to walk. And I think that I, in, in my head, in the, in the story as, as it progresses, like in my mind, she can see the well and she sees a man sitting on it or sitting near it. But she doesn't recognize them, so she thinks she's she's probably safe. He doesn't know who I am, so he won't judge me. He won't say anything. It'll be awesome. I can get in. I can grab my water, and I can go back, and I can you know, hide in my home again. And I finally have my water. She just I just need to get this part of the day done. So she walks and she gets to the well, and that's where I want to pick up John chapter four verse seven. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, "Give me a drink." because all his disciples went and had gone away into the city to buy food. Now, now, just imagine when, 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 uh, when Jesus says, give me a drink. And you have to imagine that this woman has probably been trained in her life to be very defensive. That whatever has happened to her in the past, that she becomes defensive and she gets defensive quickly. Her guard is always up. You ever met someone like that? Something happened in their past, so their guard is always up. So Jesus says, give me a drink of that water. And what does she say? Therefore the, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you being a Jew ask me for a drink of water since I'm a Samaritan woman? See how that guard immediately goes up? That wall immediately goes up? How can you ask me for some water? And then Jesus answered to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now that's, that's kind of a crazy statement, right? Right? Like, she doesn't know who this guy is. And he is saying, If you would ask me, I could give you living water. And so she, she goes back to him again. She's defensive, sir. Uh, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get the living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Are you who gave us the well and, and his sons and all his cattle? And she's basically saying to Jesus, She doesn't know who he is. Uh, okay, how are you going to do that, sir? That defensive, that she got the neck thing going. It's all like it's imagine it, right? Make it come alive that this woman is now defensive to Jesus because that's how she's been trained. Because whatever's happened in her past, what we're gonna figure out in a few seconds, has trained her to say, I can't trust anyone. And everyone here gossips about me and you don't know me yet, so I just better put this guard up so you might never know me. And then Jesus says this, everyone who drinks out of this water will thirst again but whoever drinks of the water that I will give them shall never thirst but the water that I will give will become in him a well of water springing up into eternal life. Can you imagine the hope that comes to this woman's brain when Jesus tells her I have water you'll never thirst again. I got water that you're never gonna have to take that trek all through here while people whisper and gossip about you. I got water that you can take one final thing, head back to your home and you'll never have to walk in your shame again because you'll never have to come outside. I mean, this is is mind-blowing to this woman. She's saying, you've got water that I'll never have to do this again. I'll never have to feel these feelings again. I'll never have to walk outside my house again. I'll never have to feel exposed to all these people again. You're telling me you got water like that? What do you think she's going to say? She's going to say, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty nor come all this way to draw. Give me this water, please. Please let me stop doing this. I hate this part. I hate this part. Please get me out of here. I hate feeling this every time I walk outside my house. Please, can you take it away? And then, and this is, listen, I follow Jesus, not just because there are stories about him and that I felt him, but look how smart he is. Look at what he does for this woman. He doesn't just, just come out and say something. He is going to attack the very thing that she wants to keep hidden. And so he asks her a simple question. He says, go call your husband. Just give us a simple command. The one thing this woman hopes, prays, just implores, please do not bring up this subject. Don't talk about that. Go call your husband. I mean, can you just imagine her, the stomach drop in her, in, her, in her body, just boom, oh man. So she diverts really quickly. She, she's fast on her, on, her, on her feet. She says, I have no husband. And then Jesus says this, You're right. You have answered correctly. I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you've said truly. I mean, everything in this woman's life now seems to be crashing down. That this man who has now offered her this eternal life, this water, that if she asks from him, she'll never have to take that walk again. That she thought, thought, he doesn't know who I am. He'll never figure it out. that that he knows everything about her. And he calls it out. He says, no, no, you're right. You've had five. I know everything about you. I mean, at that moment, she must feel just shame. Because this person doesn't even know who she is and yet knows everything about her. And so she says, she says, you must be a prophet. How could you know that? And they have a conversation. Do you know what this woman gets? This woman who has had five husbands and is living with a man who is not her husband. That, in that culture, is one of the most shameful things to do. Like that, that she is walking around with this burden on her, with the shame that that she hears the gossip and the whispers and what everyone says. Do you know what this woman gets in the book of John? She's the first person Jesus says, I'm the Messiah to. A woman who, their two cultures clash, who even in her culture is the least. And she's the first person that gets to know that he's the Messiah. And, and and that this water that he's talking about isn't literal water, but it's a water that as he lives his life and as he raises up on a cross and he dies the most shameful death, do you know, Dying on a cross is not the most painful way to die in Roman times, but it's the most shameful because you're hung on a cross naked for everyone to laugh at and spit on, talk about. And he takes that shame that he never earned, that he never deserved, and he took it from me and you. And he's offering that eternal life, that eternal water to this woman and this is so cool. This is something Pastor Jim showed me. Skip down to verse 28. So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me that all things I have done, the all things I've done, this is not the Christ. Is it? She's almost too, too nervous to admit that this man might be it. Because she knows if this is the Messiah, if this is the Christ, then that water is hers. And what does she do? What does the author say she does? With that water pot that she despised, that almost represented every walk that she had to do, walking in shame, she leaves it there. She says, I don't need that anymore. That work that I do to go get water and bring it back to a husband that's not even my husband what I'm searching for with men I don't need any of that I'm going to leave that water pot behind and I'm going to go to that new well I believe that's why the author put it in there because it's such a small he wanted to show us the representation of letting it go of it's not my stuff anymore because your work will never create your worth but his work will cover your shame and create your worth. It's not anything you can do. And the minute you leave that water behind, the minute you let go of whatever it is that you hold on to, that you sew together to cover up whatever it is that you're trying to cover up, to make something of yourself when your parents told you you'd never amount to anything, to let go of whatever person you blame for the reason that you are the way you are, whatever it is that you hold on to, that you're sowing, whatever leaves you've kept, I need you to let it go. Let that water pot go. Leave it at that well. Because that trail never leads anywhere you want to be. It just leads you wandering in the woods. But this one over here, you understand this, that it's His work that will cover your shame and create your worth. Guess what that means? It doesn't matter if I have a bad day. I'm still worthy. Not because of me. His work. It doesn't matter if things go, if I lose my job. It's not that I'm a terrible, terrible person. It's just things that happen. Because I know it's not by this stuff that, that I'm worthy. It's by His work. So I leave that stuff at that well. I leave it there. And, and you know what really happens now? is like when you show up to your job, it's not that you don't care, right? It's not that you're like, well, this stuff doesn't get me worse, so I, I just might as well be lazy. It's not going to matter. No, no. Because even Scripture says, a work as if you're working unto the Lord. Now your work, instead of it being uh, the production that needs to produce pats on the back, now your work is the testimony of a God that loves you. Now when you work and you're a father or you're a mother or at your job or you're a manager and you're working hard and you're doing it, it's not about you getting pats on the back. Now it's just about a testimony about a father that loves you deeply. And do you know who's watching? Your kids. The people that you love are watching. And they're looking at mom and they're looking at dad and they're seeing that mom and dad are great moms and dads, they're great employers and employees and they're doing all that stuff, but they're not doing it so people will tell them they're doing a good job. They're doing it because God loved them so much that his work on the cross died and shed and covered whatever shame they felt from when they were kids or when they were adults and now their worthiness is not in what they do, but it is whose they are. And 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 they will see that and they will understand in their brain that that's where my worthiness comes from and not over here. And whatever cycle started here gets broken and starts anew in your family. And instead of drinking from wells that'll make them thirsty again, they they begin to drink from everlasting water. That's what the Lord wants for you. That's what the Lord wants for you. But he's a gracious God. It's your choice what trail you take what well you drink from. So you can stand with me really quick. We're going to pray. And if you could bow your head, close your eyes just for privacy. Because I understand that some of you in here are battling that idea that you can work your way out of this. And some of you are even saying, I want to repent, but I'm not worthy enough yet. Let me bash that lie rat out of you. It's not about you. It's not about your work. It's about his work. I understand the struggle of letting it go. And it's not like let it go one time. It's like let it go every day. I understand that struggle. But I also get to partake in the joy and the relief of stress, knowing that my worth doesn't come from what I do. It comes from whose I am. So if you need to walk and take that first step towards repentance and you need to let go of some water pots and you need to walk a different trail and you want to start that today whether you're a Christian or non-Christian you've been okay with being okay if you're a Christian and today you want to say nah I want to be like Christ can you just raise your hand I just want to pray with you really quick I see you I see you keep that hand up Father there are those of us in here that struggle every day because we feel like we're not good enough. We feel like we can't do enough. We're not good enough. And if we just work a little bit harder, we'll finally feel that. Father, I pray today, your Holy Spirit would break that mindset in those in here that need it, those that are raising their hands. That God, we would understand that it is not by what we can do. It is not about how many fig leaves we can sew together. It's not about how deep in the garden we can hide. But Father, it is about your work on the cross that covers my shame, even though I didn't deserve it. And that creates a worthy person. God, so that I can stand before you knowing that you love me, not because of what I did, but because of what Christ did. That I can go before my kids and I can know that I'm worthy to be their father, not because of what I can do, but because of what Christ did in me. I can go to my job knowing I can be a good employee, not because of what I can do, but because of what Christ did in me. And then I don't have to walk around hiding, not wanting people to see the true me because, God, the true me died. And I'm repenting today to say, Lord, I'm not okay. Make me better. Let me let go of the things that I've been holding on to and create in me something new. So, Father, be with us as we walk that path because it is narrow and it is difficult and it is something we have to do every day. Thank you, Holy Spirit, so much for churches that we can gather in to have community. Let us walk knowing that we're worth something. That we don't have to walk in shame. But God, instead, upright, knowing that we are a child of God. Thank you so much. your name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys so much. We'll see you guys next Sunday. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media on Facebook and Instagram at NBCCNorco or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.